Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Two hostages have been released. Two Americans released out of Gaza. This just breaking. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY is the number. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Been confirmed multiple places that two American nationals, a mother and a daughter, names not yet known. This is the response from the Al-Qasim Brigade spokesman. In response to Qatari efforts, Al-Qasim Brigades released two American citizens for humanitarian reasons and to prove to the American people and the world that the claims made by Biden and his fascist administration are false and baseless. Well, no, but... We'll take the two. According to U.S. officials, 32 Americans have been killed since Hamas launched that attack on October 7th, the day that will live in infamy. 32. 1,400 Israelis. And that number could be hired. Uh, And they are confirming, Israel is, that 203 Israelis are being held captive by Hamas, a terrorist organization, in the Gaza Strip. Right now, 11 uh, Americans are are unaccounted for. In Joe Biden's speech to the nation last night, this is what he had to say about hostages. Oval Office and the President of the United States, Joe Biden. Good evening, my fellow Americans. We're facing an inflection point in history. One of those moments where the decisions we make today are going to determine the future for decades to come. That's what I'd like to talk with you about tonight. You know, early this morning, I returned from Israel. <clears throat> they tell me I'm the first American president to travel there during the war. I met with the prime minister and members of his cabinet. And most movingly, I met with Israelis who had personally lived through horrific horror of the attack by Hamas on the 7th of October. More than 1,300 people slaughtered in Israel, including at least 32 American citizens. Scores of innocents, from infants to the elderly grandparents, Israelis, Americans taken hostage. As I told the families of Americans being held captive by Hamas, we're pursuing every avenue to bring their loved ones home. As president, there is no higher priority for me than the safety of Americans held hostage. So this should lead us to what is that strategy? Because we have got a whole bunch of people actively pursuing a ceasefire. As a matter of fact, you'll see people like Congressman Andre Carson bragging about 400 Capitol staffers, 400 of them, signing a letter. According to the Huffington Post, Muslim and Jewish congressional staffers signed a letter Thursday urging Congress to back a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas in light of anti-Semitism, anti-Muslim, and anti-Palestinian sentiment on the rise nationwide. The letter's anonymous. Not one of these 400 congressional staffer cowards would put their name to it. Ain't none of them John Hancock. You ever notice that if you've been listening to this show for more than, than a day, you'll notice I end nearly every segment with, I'm Tony Katz. 
I do it for two reasons. Number one, there is nothing more frustrating that when you tune in to some radio for the first time and you're hearing something you like, and then they just go to like a commercial, and you're like, wait, who is this? Wait, who was that? Oh, it drives me crazy. That drives me crazy. That's a personal thing with me. I don't think that's good. I, I want to know who, who, who's, who, I'm ta- who I'm listening to. Second one is, I know what I'm saying. I sign it. That's how I sign it. That's how I John Hancock the thing. I let you know who I am. This is what I said. I'm Tony Katz. I do it all the time. Because I want it understood that I stand behind my words. Sometimes I'll get it wrong. I'll apologize for that. But I stand behind my words. These people won't stand behind anything. Do I really believe there are 400 congressional staffers? I don't know. I also don't care. Do you think the word of 400 staffers should move us to policy? Of course not. What should be the policy? Of course, Representative Cory Bush or Representative Andre Carson, all these people who won't condemn Hamas, they are all in love with this. That's right, we need a ceasefire. Do ceasefires get hostages released? Yes or no? Why don't we ask this question? Why don't we demand that answer? Why can't we simply state that that's not a valuable policy? And considering the amount of anti-Semitism in the United States that is free-flowing, I really don't think that Cori Bush, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, or Andre Carson care. I don't believe that they care about it. I don't believe that it matters to them at all. If I have learned anything over these last two weeks, from Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Cori Bush, and Andre Carson, I already kind of knew it uh, from Omar and Tlaib, They don't care what happens to Israel, and they don't care what happens to Jews. That's what they have shown me with either their silence or their insanity conversations. Lying about Israel destroying a hospital? You know by now what we know by now. The bomb came from, the rocket came from Hamas. The rocket didn't hit the hospital. You understand that, right? The rocket did not hit the hospital. It's still standing. If you listen to Bacha Unger Sargon, Bacha is her first name, B-A-T-Y-A. She is with, uh, I think she's with Newsweek, and she was on uh, Fox Business, and uh, she has thoughts. Make sure your audience understands the depravity of what happened yesterday. So after committing the worst atrocities against Jews since the Holocaust, the organization that was involved in dismembering children alive in front of their parents sent out a memo to the American press corps 10 days later in which they said Israel had killed 500 Palestinians by bombing a hospital. None of that turned out to be true. Israel did not bomb the hospital. The hospital is still standing and we don't know how many people were killed, but it certainly wasn't 500. But our press corps, like the stenographers of terrorists that they are, simply repeated this lie. The New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, The Washington Post, the BBC, the AP repeated Hamas's lie word for word. Why did they do this? Because
because they're all educated at elite institutions where they get woke mind virus. They cannot tell right from wrong. They cannot tell truth from falsehood. And they simply lie and lie because to them, Israel is the oppressor. And they spent 10 days having to describe atrocities against Jews. And they were just desperate to get Israel back into the oppressor position. of. That's just true. And Rashida Tlaib knew that the story was false and then went about repeating it anyway. And so did Ilan Omar. Oh, she engaged some level of re- retraction and apology. Uh, uh, it's, it's a bit late for that if I was going to quote Mr. Green from the movie Clue, which is, by the way, a very good movie and one should watch it. I've seen all I need to see from them. They're never going to change. They're not worried about a rise of anti-Semitism. They're not. I don't see where ceasefires get us anywhere. And I don't see it as anything, anything but a danger. I don't see how the ceasefire grows. I can see how people lie about Israel. The New York Times, when they changed that headline three different times, Israel hits uh, hospital with rocket. A rocket lands on hospital in Gaza. A blast occurred at a hospital in Gaza. They changed the headline three different times because they didn't care that they got the story wrong. They just changed it and changed it until it got, you know, the problem went away. It should be noted that on Twitter, X, Elon Musk removed the verification badge from the New York Times and has added a liar badge. It's an emoji, uh, kind of smiley face thing, but with a long nose, like a Pinocchio. That's been added to the New York Times because they lied. It's a lie to say a ceasefire will somehow do us better. You don't want the violence? I don't want it either. Nobody wants this. But Hamas will suffer. Hamas will suffer. And they have to. But right now we have two hostages that we know of released. This is where we're at right now. I'm happy for this. Thrilled to see it. Now we need to get the rest of the Americans out. Which is why, if you, if you didn't hear it, I'll share it with you. My conversation with Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. We have hostages on the ground. Does that mean that the U.S. is involved? We go back to Joe Biden's speech. And Joe Biden's speech did not convince me, his speech last night to the country, that we weren't involved. As uh, he said, we should be investing. Forward we should be supporting. This is, after all, smart policy for the U.S. It's just less war when connected. It benefits the people who would benefit the people of the Middle East and will benefit us. American leadership is what holds the world together. American alliances will keep us, America, safe. American values are what make us a partner that other nations want to work with. To put all that at risk, if we walk away from Ukraine, we turn our backs on Israel. It's just not worth it. That's why tomorrow I'm going to send to Congress an urgent budget request to fund America's national security needs, 
to support our critical partners, including Israel and Ukraine, is a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. Is it a smart investment? I, I am. I have discussed this before. Bothered that a support for Ukraine has become this Republican litmus test. That's that's super weird. I think the Republican litmus test should be whether or not they could vote for a speaker because a third vote today, no good, no speaker. And wait till you hear what Matt Gates and company have just offered up. Oh, it's so good. I will get to it. I promise. There was some real cheers for Biden's speech last night. And people like Britt Hume on Fox News, I mean, they were just, they thought it was just the best. Um, first, I would argue that Biden's conversation last week about Hamas being terrorists and Israel having the right to exist and the right to defend itself was probably the best thing he's ever said as president or maybe any other time. Probably the best thing he ever said. Not last night. I think that the people saying that this this Ukraine comparison really doesn't fly. I think that's true for the Republicans who don't want any part of Ukraine. The Tucker Carlson said. I don't know if it's true for the independents. I'm not 100% sure if it works for the totality of the Democrat Party. I... I I think that the Republican Party is certainly split on on Ukraine. I I believe that to be true to my soul that they're split on this. But the other part of the speech that didn't that didn't connect that I that it should have he should have dug in or his people whoever wrote it should have dug in. Someone had commented it was like two speeches, one speech on Israel, one speech on on Ukraine and then they used like ChatGPT to try and put them together and make sense. And it was kind of like disjointed and things were in the wrong spot. In the same way, I believe that the funding has to go separately. If you want to fund uh, Ukraine, vote on that. If you want to provide dollars or or resources to Israel, vote on that. But I think where, where, where the miss is in this speech is what's our goal? You talk about dividends for years to come. What are they? And so much of this is missed, a level of clarity. And I, I also want to admit to the people who are like, yeah, what, what's the objective? It's a, it's a little tough. The objective is to push Vladimir Putin out so he never bothers Ukraine and NATO again. What if I tell you that's the objective? I, now I've told you an objective. You can tell me, oh, you can't do that, which, by the way, I don't think you can either. Nor could I give you a date certain where that's done. Part of what we're doing in our foreign policy conversations is forgetting that some of it is ongoing. It's daily. It doesn't end. Well, tell you, Tony, this is the problem. That's how you get for forever wars. Me providing bullets to Ukraine is not the United States in a forever war. We are going to go out to lunch later. I just had some ice cream. True story. I did just have some ice cream. So, so no, we're not in a forever war. So let's try it again. Even if I were to state the objective, I could never tell you when the end is. 
I also would say any, but to anybody that the objective is to uh, um, make sure Putin doesn't threaten a NATO nation again, that ain't going to happen until Putin is out. So is now your plan to destroy Putin? This is the Ukraine conversation. And this is why it cannot be connected to the Israel conversation. Because Israel's step number one is the full destruction of Hamas no matter what. The full destruction of Hamas. How long will it take? How many lives will it cost? How much dollars will it cost? I don't know, but I'm telling you, we're doing this until there's not a Hamas member left. At least that we have, on, we know of. Maybe some other people will come up later. We'll have to deal with that later because nothing is perfect, children. But we're going to destroy Hamas. We're going to destroy their, their, their operation. We're going to destroy their infrastructure. We're going to destroy their tunnels. We're going to destroy them. Well, you know that means Iran might attack or this one. Yes, 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 but this is what we're doing. It's different. There's always something you can add on to it. But the goal is different. Because the goal in Israel, uh, for clarity's sake, it takes willingness, is obtainable. Attainable. However you want to say it. I don't think marrying the two things comes works well. And I don't know if America bought in. I really don't. Because I don't think anybody has proven how it betters the lives of our grandkids. He didn't do that. And that's why I think the speech was a mess. I'm Tony Katz. The 10-year benchmark will cross. Now, they keep saying to me that it has crossed 5%, but I don't see it on my uh, on my screen. Oh, it went hit 5.001 yesterday. For a brief, I see it as 4.997. Doesn't matter. It's 5%, which means mortgage rates well into the 8%. This is what it means. This is it. Meanwhile, the Dow right now is down 105. The NASDAQ is down 95. And you've got the president of the Atlanta Federal Reserve saying that uh, no rate cuts coming until late 2024. You mean 2025. You mean 2025. That's, I mean, that's just it. Anybody thinks this is coming earlier is nutty. That I, There is, I'm looking and searching for good news. Rough, rough time to try and find it. And to the extent that I feel bad, I do. I feel really bad that I can't bring you more good news. Drives me crazy. And I'm, I'm, I mean, we're hitting things. We've been talking about the border. We talk about China. We're, we're engaged. We're talking about the markets. Who? Who? We. It is rough. And this economy is, is, is not going to play, uh, play nice. It's not. It's not going to play nice at all. It's going to be a problem. It's going to continue. And I think any talk of 2024 is is just is, is pipe dream stuff. Pipe dream. This is 
2025. We're in this for another year. It stinks, but it's fact. But we do have, you know, other things we can focus on, like the Colts. Oh, this is Tony Katz today. It'll be the Colts against the Browns this Sunday, but it will be without Anthony Richardson. Season-ending surgery is happening. So the question is, does this change everything for the Colts? Does it change attitude? Does it change philosophy? Does it change coaching? Hell, after last week's drubbing by uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, maybe it should change coaching. Oh, by the way, the Jaguars beat the Saints on Thursday night, 31-24. to They're well ahead. In the AFC South, but it's the AFC South, so anything can change. Tony Katz, great to be with you, Tony Katz. Today, that's the name of the show. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. My gosh, I say my name a lot. JMV joins us. He is the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5, The Fan, out of Indianapolis. The decision made for the season-ending surgery on that shoulder. What exactly was the problem, and could any of this have been avoided if we'd actually used our running game and not just said, hey, Anthony Richardson, we paid you this money. Go do all the stuff. Hey, Tony, until further notice, I don't think any of this can be avoided. I don't think we can think that it can. And I mean, Again, what I mean by further notice is we're not going to know, I don't think, at least a smidge of what to expect whether or not Anthony Richardson is injury-prone or he can withstand being this focal point of the offense and the fashion in which they drafted him and how they wanted under Shane Steichen, we're not going to know until about this time next year or maybe even a little bit further because it's going to come with game experience and getting through those situations. Here's what we know. We know right now that he looks talent-wise like he can be the long-term future. But the biggest question is, we don't know if he can last enough in games to be that long-term future. And the problem that you have is we talked about the entirety of the offseason. You want to get him in there as quick as you can. You want to see him learn, observe, and really what, what you want to see him do is to get through games at home and on the road. You know, get through situations that are difficult. You know, watch how he evolves as a quarterback. And thus, with him done for the season – it's a wasted season. It's a wasted rookie season for him. I think it's going to end up being a wasted season for the Colts all the way around if they continue to go, as we saw on Sunday down in Jacksonville. And we're going to see rookie quarterback, the sequel, coming up next year. And again, we're not going to know. We're not going to know until this time, maybe even further down the road in 2024 during the season because he has to be able to sustain. And they're not going back too much away. From this running game, like give me a great example. They're not going to all of a sudden put him in a glass case. He's going to go out and be a part of that offense that they want him to be. And until further notice, we don't know if he's going to be able to withstand that, Tony. Now, the fact that we don't know if he's going to be able to, uh, I mean, we're basically asking, does Anthony Richardson have a glass jaw? That he's tougher than me might not mean anything at all. That's what you're asking. And you're right, we don't know. And I don't want to play so much in, in the hypothetical. I want to deal with what we're dealing with. And what we're dealing with is a team that's starting Gardner Minshew, who I like, who I think is capable. But his backup is Sam Ellinger, who has started for this team before and clearly has an arm. They brought in Kellen Mond to be that number three guy. He's 24. He's 6'3". He's 211 pounds. I mean, he he 
clearly can play. If you're playing him, things have gone really bad for the Colts. The question is, Minshew Ellinger, do you now change the entirety of your offense to be more run-focused, or is it the same plan? No, no, they take pages out because there's no Anthony Richardson. And, you know, we saw last week in what Jacksonville did. I think we talked about this on Monday. They they stayed in a base defense the entire time, meaning once they took away, as we saw on that initial drive when Minshew was 9 for 9 going down the field all on short passes, once they took that away and said, hey, we're going to dare you guys to go down the field, make plays down the field with the Minshew arm, with separation from the receivers, you know, with playmaking ability, and then they found out that the Colts were completely unable, unequipped to do that, then that's what we saw. That's what we saw on Sunday, and we'll see if that happens again coming up this Sunday. Because what you have is, you know, Jacksonville's three consecutive wins in like 13 days, and that's a nice streak. But defensively, they're nothing like what you're going to see from the Browns coming up on Sunday. And the Colts just showed a Sunday that they were unable – to get down the field that has been an issue and hopefully it's not maybe all of a sudden they do at home but I don't know if I'm going to hold my breath on that because to me in Jacksonville if you found it that tough to get down the field as they did I think it's going to be equally as difficult coming up on Sunday and they will change the playbook it's just not going to be changed in a big way you have to subtract some pages from it you know, I, I, it's it's not that I want to reflexively defend. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. It's just very possible to have a bad day. And that's what, that's what I really do chalk up the game against Jacksonville too. And I don't have any reason to believe, based on prior starts and prior playing, that the Colts are somehow going to come out against the Browns as this mamby-pamby group incapable of, of anything. If, if We've seen that Gardner Minshew is capable. We've seen that Zach Moss is capable. We're now three games in with Jonathan Taylor in that run game and that one-two, and I still have faith in Trey Sermon as, as that third back. So... Why would I somehow be thinking, oh, man, this is, they're 3-3, three and three, better than we actually thought they would be. Why would I think that this is the end? But, well, I mean, because one thing, you, you look at it, and obviously Anthony Richardson was what everybody was going to hang their hat on. Um, and you're right. It was one bad game from Gardner Minshew. We haven't seen that consistently. It was three interceptions. It was one fumble. It was a horribly bad game. Here's where a lot of Colts fans are with this, Tony. You compound the Richardson injury and his season being done, and then you get sideswiped by the Grover Stewart news You know, on Tuesday that he has done for the next six games for that PED violation of NFL policy or whatever, and Colts fans just have this thought that, oh, here we go again. Here we go again from a year ago. Here we go again basically since that final season of luck and one season of Phillip Rivers. Here we go again. So that's that's where the pessimism, I think, is there. And you're right. It could be just one game, but it's kind of like you, you wait to see if they're able to move it. And you watched last week what the Browns did effectively, so effectively to the Niner offense and handing them their first loss of the season. And the combination just doesn't look good. Now, granted, may not see Deshaun Watson again. It may be P.J. Walker coming up on Sunday. That's going to be a good thing. 
But the bad matchup on Sunday, Tony, is the Browns' defense against the way this Colts' offense here recently has looked. And that is a legitimate bad thing. And the only way we're going to see anything differently, I think, right now is for them to prove it on Sunday. Well, let's go uh, to the other side. The defense uh, for the Colts did look miserable uh, and out of step and confused uh, against the Jaguars. But they don't even know, or at least I should say, I'm not sure who they're going to be going up against in Cleveland. Deshaun Watson back for this game? Well, it's funny because on Tuesday, or I should say on Wednesday, nobody thought he was going to be because he didn't practice, and that was kind of a surprise. And I've got him listed as questionable right now. Yeah, right. And then he came back on on Thursday and practiced – and when people were first reporting that over there, they said, hey, you know what, let's go some good now. Maybe he's going to participate. And then the words after practice from Watson was, the, you know, I don't know if it's going to be uh, this weekend, two weeks from now, a month from now, or whatever. So that didn't shed much light on the subject. So it's almost like you're kind of, as you mentioned, questionable, kind of even going into Sunday. If I were going to fair a guess, I would think he sits one more time. And maybe it's because, and I hate to say this for Colts fans, maybe it's because Cleveland kind of views this game as, all right, we'll make sure that he is really healthy for the rest of the schedule further down the road, and we'll see if we can't get P.J. Walker and this defense to, to squeeze past the backup quarterback in this Colts offense coming up on Sunday. It may be a decision just like that, but if I were guessing right now, I think you end up seeing P.J. Walker to start. And if you take a look at P.J. Walker from that game against the 49ers, yes, they got the win. He was 18 for 34, 192 yards, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. We, we don't call that a wow kind of day. Uh, this is an offense that without Deshaun Watson has... I mean, it, it's it's limited. Their their running game is not what it was after that that injury to, to Nick Chubb. This should be, no. even for our Colts team, which is I think better than they played on Sunday. This should be a win. Yet everyone has got the Browns as uh, as the favorite in this game. Because what the Browns did, I mean, the Browns did it with defense. They did it with defense, and you know, I know that Christian McCaffrey went out. I think Debo Samuel went out. For the Niners on Sunday, too, and that certainly was problematic for their offense. But you look at the Colts and wondering if they're going to be able to move the ball whatsoever. The Browns, Tony, have allowed just a little over 1,000 yards for the first part of the season. Just a little over 1,000 yards. Their defense, especially up front, has been problematic, led by Miles Garrett. Denzel Ward in that secondary has been one of the best, if not the best, cornerbacks in this is going to be a grinder, probably the you know what, middle teens type of deal. I think I ended up going like 19 to 13 or something like that. There's not going to be a lot of offense here. I just think there's going to be too much Browns defense for this Colts offense to handle. Now, again, you might be right because, listen, I mean, the Colts did get a win over Baltimore. Their defense, especially at home, is really good. I'm just going off of the input Sunday, and if it's more than just a game, this Colts offense, Tony, is going to have a tremendous, tremendously tough afternoon against this Browns defense. That's just the way it stacks up, and that's what I look at more than anything else in this matchup Sunday. And talking to JMV, uh, the voice of sports in Indiana, uh, Alec Pierce questionable. He was limited in practice with that shoulder. And Kylan Granson, concussion. Is he in the protocol? Yeah, he's in the protocol right now. And if you remember, I think Mo Ali Cox is the only one that entered the protocol and actually played the Sunday after that. So it's not been good numbers. And Kylan Granson is a guy that can be utilized as a threat. I would say that Alec Pierce, I thought things were worse. When you were watching and we were texting back and forth Sunday, I thought things were worse 
for Pierce than than what it's looked like. I'd almost suggest that he'll give it a go. I'm not sure about that. We'll find out maybe a little bit later on today. But I, I, I guess I was a little bit more optimistic yesterday, Tony, than I was when you actually saw that take place on Sunday. But, yeah, we'll see if Granson gets past it. The only one that I know of so far from the Colts that went into concussion protocol and actually played the next week was Mo Ali Cox, and that was last week. We'll see. Let me move you over to the college ranks, if you, if you don't mind. Rutgers at IU. Uh, to say that IU football is bad is to um, yeah. is to not really explain what the word bad is. This is a bad football team. They are two and four. Of course, got blown out by Maryland and just got. It, I won't discuss the Michigan game. The yeah. Michigan game was um, not something that we should remember in in our history. Uh, is this, a, is this new offensive coordinator capable of, A, figuring out who their quarterback is going to be and who is it, and B, just sticking with them and getting them the opportunities to play so maybe they play better? Now, their head coach, Tom Allen, is going to play in those quarterback who's going to start games again, and that's kind of ridiculous when we're at this point right now with what you just had described regarding this football team and their results this year. No, nah, I mean, Rod Carey's not going to be able to do much else than what we have seen so far. I just think – and I hate this term. I just think this IU football program right now is what it is, and it is dreadful. And I just don't think there's going to be any sort of climbing out of this until they end up having the amount of money or Tom Allen's contract by uh, shrinks down to a level in which they feel they can afford. And that's not going to be at the end of this year. That will in all likelihood be at the end of next year, but there's no calling out of this. And you, you would think with Rutgers, all right, there's a shot with Greg Schiano's team right there. But this IU team has just shown really no, no chance, no chance. If, if it's not one thing, it's the other. And really the major one thing has been this offense has been an absolute joke, an embarrassing disaster. And I don't see it with the change of, you know, decision-making personnel at the coordinated position, Tony, not getting any better. JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. I appreciate, appreciate you taking the time. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Matt Gates wants to play Let's Make a Deal. And Matt Gates is offering up an interesting deal. A letter signed by him, signed by the eight who pushed Kevin McCarthy out as speaker. They know that there's rancor and there's hurt feelings by the motion to vacate. They stand by their actions, but they want to proceed forward. Suggested the conference cannot move forward, writes Gates and these other members, until there are consequences for each of us. The actions we took were never about us. They were to change Washington for the better. The House now needs a speaker, and we have a speaker designate in Jim Jordan of Ohio. Therefore, if the holdouts who refuse to vote for speaker designate Jordan would be willing to vote with the team and elect him the 56th House speaker... We are prepared to accept censure, suspension, or removal from the conference to accomplish this objective. Look at them. Sacrificing themselves. What do you know? Playing a little bit of 
Let's make a deal. That's the actual theme right there. Um, they write, what unites us as Republicans is more important than our disagreements. We must now come together to elect Jim Jordan. We offer this sincerely and with the hope of unity with purpose. And with the hope of unity with purpose, our fidelity to Republican virtues and principles remains unwavering. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work. Because there are some people who are saying, man, you really want Jim Jordan. The answer is no. The answer is no. You eight got together with Democrats and got rid of a perfectly fine speaker. All right, maybe not perfectly fine, but you know what I mean by perfectly fine. It wasn't necessary. You had no plan. And now you have to suffer. You don't get to make deals. You don't get to control anything. You go to hell in a handbasket. So does this move from Gates actually move anybody to say, all right, Jim Jordan, yeah, and then we'll censure these guys and be fine. No, I don't think so. I think Charles C.W. Cook has it right. You did this. Now you don't get what you want. You don't get what you want. Because if, if you get what you want, then we're setting a precedent that you always get what you want. And you say to me, Tony, the Republicans need to come together. Um, Yeah. But something tells me that this right here, this is a play that is going to get responded to with, you can kiss my you-know-what, Matt Gates. That's what it sounds like. But it'll be really magnanimous to the base, which makes you question if the fidelity is to Republicans or Republican principles, you mean it's to your base and not the party. Hmm. I'm Tony Katz.